Welcome to the International Teacher Podcast with your host, Matt the Family Guy, Kent the Cat Guy, and me, Greg the Single Guy. We are recording episodes from around the globe to tell you about the best kept secret in education. That's right, it's teaching overseas. We're glad to have you join us. Welcome to the International Teacher Podcast. I'm Kent the Cat Guy, and with me today is... I'm Greg the Single Guy, and Matt is not with us again, Kent, but we're going to trudge on through, and hopefully he'll be back soon. But we have a great guest today, Kent. Who's our you great who, guest today, Greg? You don't know who it is? Okay, it's his name is, is Chris Colma, and Chris Colma is coming to us from the, the view of a music teacher in international schools. And we've never had a music teacher on before, and this is sort of fun because we have had a couple requests, and I want to introduce him because he's got a lot to share with us, and I, we'll, we'll meet him here. So welcome to the show, Chris. Thank you. Thanks for having me, guys. It's really nice to be here on the show with you. And Kent, uh, he has a podcast. I'm sorry, I'll talk to the audience. Audience, Chris has his own podcast, and I'll let him introduce that and everything. But one of my favorite questions, Chris, and this has to do with our show too, is you have a, an introductory question where you ask somebody and you say, listen, most of your guests, you say, share a little bit about how you got into international teaching. And you don't always ask it that way, but that's my way of saying, tell us your story a little bit. Yeah, um, it's a great question. I love that question because everyone that I've come across that works in an international school has some kind of story. They have some kind of journey that they've been on. Um, so my journey, it's a, it's a good one in that um, I have a bit of an international kind of background in my family in a sense that my, my parents are Dutch. Um, my, my wife, she's got Lebanese background, English background. And so we always had this real interest in travel. And uh, when I became a music teacher, I, I trained and did my, my teaching and education degree in Australia. But very quickly, if not even before I finished my degree, I was already thinking about teaching overseas. And I'd heard about it. In fact, I heard about it in a lecture um, at university. We had a, a guy come to talk to us about teaching in England. And it was about doing cover teaching in, in England. And at the end of that conversation, he just kind of threw in there, oh, yeah, and there's these international schools too that you might want to look into. And I remember <laughs> my wife and I just looked at each other and we were like, international schools? That sounds like what we've been thinking about. So that was the beginning. What's that? Yeah, yeah, right? And that was the beginning. And and then it was just kind of this constant thing in the back of the mind. Um, uh, yeah, I, I played uh, professionally as a musician for quite a while. I was I had my own music school teaching the bass guitar. Um, I was doing all sorts of things in music education. And then I taught in Australia for two years in the state system, um, got some experience teaching there in the, in a high school and, uh, it just got to a point where a couple of things changed in our lives. And we started really seriously looking at international school teaching. And my wife found a position in Buenos Aires in Argentina. And we both already thought about how cool it would be to, to live and work in South America um, for a whole bunch of reasons, but one of them being the language. You know, we thought it'd be great to go somewhere where we can be immersed and learn Spanish. Um, and as an Australian, you know, Australia is one of those countries where you really don't learn a second language uh, at school. And it's we're just so disconnected from any other country with any other language that, you, you know, you do a little bit of language in school, but it never really goes far unless you're fully immersed. So... 
Um, my wife went for the job, got a job at, at a school in Argentina. We packed up everything uh, in a very short amount of time and we were there and we, we just kind of landed in Argentina, never been to South America, didn't know much about it um, and just, just got stuck in really. Um, so, so you went as the trailing spouse, when, right? Kind of went as the trailing spouse. Or did spouse. you have a job also? So I went over yeah. um, with sort of inklings of a job. I definitely didn't have a full-time contract. So my wife's also a music teacher. Uh, and so she got a head of secondary music role. And I went over and I, I was kind of looking to do some other stuff anyway. So I did my master's while when I arrived, I started doing my master's and did a bit of teaching. But soon after the head of primary music position came up and, and I took that and just kind of jumped in. Um, and so that was really interesting. And I started teaching there, learning more about teaching elementary primary school music. Um, and so essentially my wife and I were kind of running the music department together for a few years and it was amazing. Like it was kind of everything we dreamed about in terms of being in another cultural context learning the language, you know, you really couldn't get by speaking English in Argentina. Um, you had to, you know, you walk out your front door and you had to speak Spanish. Otherwise you wouldn't, nothing would happen. Like you couldn't go to the, you couldn't get groceries. You couldn't get in a taxi. You couldn't do anything. So it was a true immersion. But you were already interested in teaching music to uh, some age of children. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was definitely my trajectory. You know, it's just that I didn't have the job. So it was just a different way of getting there, I guess. Yeah. So we did um, three years in Argentina and had a, had a blast, traveled a lot, you know, traveled a lot of South America, um, up into North America as well. Things just kind of progressed and progressed and sort of, yeah, really kind of enjoyed the whole experience. But then the economy kind of collapsed in Argentina. Things got really difficult financially. Oh, yeah. This was 2011, 2012. And we needed to look for something else. And so I then found a job in Malaysia. I was like, oh, that, that job looks great. And I'd had the primary music, elementary music teaching experience. Um, and I already had taught secondary music. And so I had sort of both. Um, and this position came up in Malaysia for, for primary music teacher and went for it and got the job. Um, and it sort of the reverse happened. So I went over with a contract. My wife didn't have a contract and she fell into a position which ended up being art. So she was also trained in visual arts. That was just really interesting because we, we didn't really have, like we did with Argentina, we didn't have a specific country in mind. We, we just were like, okay, Asia is a, a good region and it's a bit closer to Australia. And we traveled through Asia before, but never been to Malaysia and just absolutely fell in love with it. Uh, can I ask you which school it was at Montchiara? And you don't have to say it on the air if you don't want to, but I was wondering, I know about uh, Montchiara yep. is one that I know of in Malaysia, in KL. Yep. And I know of one other, in the international school. If you and your wife had stayed into international schools, keep looking around and trying to, to get uh, jobs at the same time at the same school, it would have been difficult because you both teach the same specialty. Um. I guess a couple of things. Firstly, the schools, I'm more than happy to mention them. So in Argentina, it was St. George's College, Kilmes. There's two St. George's Colleges. Okay. And I didn't mention the name. So Kilmes, this is a, an, a traditional British international school that has deep roots in um, colonial times in Argentina. Uh, and the school in Malaysia was the Garden International School, another British education model, but um, quite a internationalized British model. And it was actually just around the corner from MKIS, Monkiara International School. So 
really close by. Uh, and then ISKL that you mentioned. So those two are both the yeah. American international schools in Malaysia. And as you said, yeah, big schools. Um, so I was at Garden International School. And you're right. Like one of the other things that we came up against and heard more and more is that some schools didn't want to have a, you know, a couple in the same music department. So it actually worked really well for us that my wife ended up because she loved teaching art as well and really found a home teaching art anyway. So it worked out really well for us because I think it's from what I've heard, it's quite difficult to try and find two jobs in the same department for a whole bunch of reasons. It is. And that's why I'm so amazed. And it is neat and unique to see that both of you are teaching the same specialty and seeing somebody that teaches in a homeroom or in a secondary classroom and then their husband or their spouse, their other half teaches music is very common. Mm. But to have that and wow, I tell you, and the music community internationally is so small and you're making it even smaller. I know that by, you know, reaching out and interviewing on your podcast, you have You've definitely got some great um, podcast interviews with people that are reaching out and touching all over the world with the uh, music programs. You mentioned um, the British program at both your school, the schools that you worked at were both British curriculum. Mm-hmm. Did they also do IB stuff? Some do a the mix. International baccalaureate? Yeah, so the school in yeah. Argentina okay. did IB at their final years. The school in Malaysia did the CIE, the Cambridge International Certificate at the final year. So that, okay. that didn't do IB. We don't get a music teacher on here very often. Mm. This is like, you are our first p- pure music teacher that uh, we've had on our podcast. We're trying to reach all over the world with different kinds of aspects, all different points of view. Chris, how did you get started in music? Good question. Um, music learning is, it really can start really sort of at an early age. For me, my grandfather uh, was a organist, um, classical pianist, choir conductor, very musical. My dad is a musician, pianist and bass player. Um, so very musical family. And I'm one of four. So I have three brothers and, but we all grew up, you know, very surrounded by music, but not really interested in music. We, we, all we wanted to do was play football, play soccer. Um, so we just spent all our days running around the field and yes, music was going on in the background. Like I did piano lessons, but I hated it. Uh, all I wanted to do was was play soccer. So at uh, at about fourteen, I mean, I had music in my life in in ways, but it was really not there. But at about fourteen, I think my mum said to me, "Hey, Chris, you should look at doing something else because if all you do is play soccer, like sure, you might be good at it, and it, there might be some future in there or whatever. But if you get injured, then what are you going to do?" And she was like, "Why don't you just..." do some music like you know your dad plays music you like it go for it so i picked up the bass guitar and got it i didn't even know what a bass guitar was i thought it was a guitar but it's a bass guitar and so i had to learn that lesson first and um and started i think it was about 13 years old i started just playing along with my dad so he'd play on the piano and just call out the notes over his shoulder and i just learn because bass guitar is quite easy to to get started on right it's can be quite tricky to master but to get playing you sort of just need to know a few basics so I started playing along with him and then actually it was quite special because then I I played with my grandfather and my dad uh, at a gig really quickly. Like in about a month, we played a trio together. So three generations, that was pretty cool. And um, just kind of kept playing the bass, but just, you know, it was there. It was just a new interest. And then at about 15, I had an injury um, and I had a full knee reconstruction. So I had an ACL tear, my anterior cruciate ligament, whole knee kind of exploded. Ouch. And, um, and that was, that, Ouch was, is yeah, right. that was the end of soccer. 
And so I then, and I, you know, the diagnosis was obviously operation, knee reconstruction, and then sit on the couch for nine months and don't do any sport. So I, you know, that was difficult, of course, but I was like, well, I've got the base. Like I just need to sit to practice that. So that works well. And I just played and played and played, you know, hours and hours a day. And within a space of a year after I sort of recovered from the reconstruction, I was, I'd kind of changed. Like I, I really got into music. It's all I wanted to do. I went back and played soccer, but I sort of lost some of the kind of passion for it. And that was the beginning. And then I just kind of, the trajectory went from there. I did it for, you know, my exams at school and, um, I, yeah, I just really kind of quickly got into it and then ended up doing it at university, like doing a degree in music. And, um, that's what I studied. You know, I, I learned the bass at university level and played in orchestras and played in bands and ended up being, becoming a studio musician. And yeah, it sort of just escalated. Does that mean that your preferred instrument and the one you studied was bass? Yes. And the like in the orchestra, it was the stand-up bass, like the the I don't know what you, the contrabass. Yeah. You call it the contrabass. Yeah, contra what do you call it? With the stand-up one, double bass in the back. The uh, boom, boom, yeah. boom. Love that. Right. Yes. Double bass. So my my love that. main instrument was the electric bass. So you know, normal <laughs> four-string electric bass. That's what I started on, and that that would be my probably my specialty. But then, yeah, in the degree, I had to do all of it. So went on to the double bass. Well, I just had to ask that because I know music teachers, you play everything. I'm in a jazz band or I have been in a jazz band recently where there's at least five music teachers. Have A shout out to Brian White. Have you ever met Brian? Uh, do you know Brian White by name by any chance? or Is he? This could be bizarre, but is he in Europe teaching? Do, 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 do. Right now he is. I, yeah. I actually just... <laughs> Milan. This is bizarre because my really good friend is a Spanish teacher at the International School of Milan, and she was just talking about him three days ago when I was hanging out with yep. him in Milan. So I do know Brian White. There you go. I know of him by name. Well, there you go. I'll he send you some music. He yes, worked with us for yes. about... Yeah, he worked with us for about five years. Right. Shout out to Brian White. Cool. I'm looking forward to meeting him. Had to ask because it, it is yeah, it is so small, this world, right? Wait till you hear him play trumpet. Mm. That's his, That's oh. his. Uh, I don't know what you guys call it, when you have one special instrument that you carry through. You and your wife are both music teachers or were you know, practicing music teachers, and now you're still in the music field helping out other teachers in international schools. If I walked into your home right now, which is in Australia, right? Mm. If I walked into your home right now and you and your wife were sitting there, how many instruments are in your home? <laughs> Good one. Uh, well, yeah, we, we paired it back a bit. We used to have a lot more and we moved them on, um, mainly just for mobility, getting around different countries and things. But uh, I've got I've got two basses. We've got about three or four guitars. We've got a whole bunch of drums. Um, my wife's a singer, so she carries her instrument everywhere and it's very easy. But I also have a studio, so I have a full production studio at home. So I've got all the tech and all sorts of gadgets wow. um, in the studio. So it's quite a minimal studio because I do a lot of music production in the computer. So I don't actually have that many instruments because I mainly sample instruments these days. But yeah, there's a few, definitely a few. Well, I would love a virtual tour of that studio sometime. A question for don't you. Don't let him in your I home. Work don't with... let him in. <laughs> music teachers must hold a special place in your heart and what is special for you about music teachers that you've dedicated a good chunk of your time to supporting helping and bringing together uh, music teachers particularly ones working all over the world mm. 
I think being a music educator is a really interesting profession. It's it's kind of a privilege, you know. We we talked briefly before about how all of us have these journeys to musicianship in some way, and they they become really special parts of who we are. So we all carry these musical stories of how we've created this passion. You know, it's in it's like this heart thing, um, as airy fairy as that might sound. Like there's this deep engagement with the concept of being a musician or engaging with music. And so as a teacher, we carry that into our classroom. And regardless of what we're teaching, like what style of music or what instrument, that, you know, that passion is always there. There's this underlying deep kind of identity there, this musical identity. And there's actually some really great research on that, that, I, that concept of musical identities and people. And so when I, you know, as a music educator, um, and especially in the international school context where often you're working in, in a private education context, you know, so you've got all of the influences of privatized education, which means, you know, where we're basically all competing for, for students and making sure our students are doing the things they want to do and have opportunities to choose their subjects and go on trips and do all the things that a private education can offer. As a music educator, you're, you're in that as well. You're trying to share your passion, but you're also trying to present a subject that's academically rigorous or that's, you know, it's a cultural bearer of the school. Like think about how amazing music is for school culture building, the way it draws the community together. And it, you know, those concerts where you get all the teachers together and you get all the students together. And there's this moment where everyone forgets about everything and they're just engaged in a musical experience. And I think for a music educator, I mean, this happens in other subjects too, but there's this really special extra layer that's, that kind of comes in that's not necessarily uh, found in all subjects. There's this really sort of connective experience between the teacher, between the student, and between an identity-shaping experience. It's quite complex, I find, and I think it all comes back to these stories that we carry as musicians well, it's difficult to explain it because, like you say, there's the teaching end of it where we all we love teachers. We're like, oh, we love kids. We love teaching, sharing our knowledge. But as a music teacher, and I can only say this from a music lover and music participant and being a musician myself, I think being a musician, you live through that almost every moment of your life. You live music. Mm. We Other people listen to music. You create music, you you live through your music. That's your passion outside of teaching. So you put those two things together, and it's just like, it's a wonderful, you know, it's, I, that's why it's so hard to explain. You, you had a, I can't explain it any better. Mm. I'm trying to get to it, but I don't know, short of a philosophy course on music, love, and education. I don't know. It's a tough way to say it, right? <laughs> yeah, it's a really complex idea. Um, I think... One of the things and one of the reasons why I'm doing what I'm doing now in supporting music educators in international schools is that often music education, it, it becomes a little bit of an island in itself, you know, because you have the curriculum, but you have all the extracurricular stuff and you, you often exist in like a, a world, like you said, you exist in your own world of music, musical passion, but your students and your program kind of does too. And by working together across countries and across contexts with the music teachers and in international schools group, we're really finding like a sense of solidarity that there's a place where we can have these 
bizarre discussions trying to <laughs> trying to understand what music education means and that's all starting to happen i think i'm really just passionate about exploring it and trying to explain it trying to understand it because it's really it's a really fascinating topic Building on what you just mentioned, can we have you explain a little bit about your website and your interests now? How are you supporting teachers now? Can you give us the lowdown on what you're mm. doing now? Yeah, so there's kind of two angles to this. So one of them is um, in my previous role in at Garden in Malaysia, I was the head of music, and I, you know, had a great time teaching there, and it was everything I'd kind of wanted it to be as a head of music. I had a great team and we had great students and a great program. It was fantastic. But there was just this real lack of kind of connection between other international schools, like what international schools are doing. And from my background in Australia, you have a state system, you have, you know, regional groups always meeting together. And we had that in Asia. There's the FABISIA, the Federation of British International Schools in Asia, with that come together and we had a music conference and that was fantastic and it still is amazing. But um, there's so many music teachers working in international schools that just don't have any connection to support mechanisms, to, to connect with other music teachers. Often they're a one teacher department, they're in the middle of nowhere, and they've just got no one to bounce ideas off. And I had a bit of this in Malaysia, but it was more that I kept hearing this from so many people. Um, and I had it more in Argentina. We were quite isolated, not much else going on. I had to travel like an hour to the nearest international school. So I wanted to create a community that was truly global, that just, just connected people, connected people on pedagogy, on ideas, on um, uh, like music education providers, you know, people that provide... Um, services or products because we'd often go to these conferences and hear about it but then you forget about it and you know then you oh there was this great thing i heard from this guy but i've forgotten about it. so it's kind of drawing everyone into one space so it was, it's really serving a need that i felt i needed as a head of music when i was a teacher and because i'm not overwhelmed by all the concerts that i had to run and all the exam students and you know, running a whole music department, I can be a, a little bit on the outside, but because I'm so connected with the community still, I can help to foster that because I've got a bit more time to do it. And the other part that feeds into it is that I'm doing a PhD that's looking at all of this. So I'm really still connected cool. to what it means to be a music educator in international schools. And that's what my PhD is doing. So it's interacting with teachers and learning from them and creating an understanding of this field. So that keeps me connected. What uh, department are you doing your PhD through? I'm with the University of Newcastle in Australia, and it's through the education and a comparative and international education departments. We'll take a moment's break now to remind you how to reach out to us. Of course, you can address any negative comments to Kent, the cat guy. We do love to hear from you. If you're out on Facebook, we don't do that, but our handle on both Instagram and Twitter are at ITPexpats with an S, I-T-P-E-X-P-A-T-S as a handle. If you want to, you can send us an old email at internationalteacherpodcast at gmail.com or you can visit us at our new website at www.itpexpat.com www.itpexpat.com Well, back to the show. 
All right, Chris, I have a good question for you related to what we just you just mentioned. And here's a scenario. I'm a new teacher for international, but I'm a music teacher and I'm coming maybe from the States or UK or Australia where they have strong connections with district and they might have a lot of resources. They might even have instruments. And I land in this little school in XYZ country and there's very little there. In fact, the teacher before me like scooted off with all their materials. So I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm a brilliant teacher. I mean, I've taught for years, but I just don't have anything to work with. It's like I have to redo the whole create, and, and everyone's expecting the concert coming up is it maybe at December or maybe there's an end of year concert. Does that fit into the scenario of someone that would want to start reaching out to you? Yes. Or am I off base? No, I think you're really, really onto something there. That that is really what we're looking to do. Find a, a place for people to connect, to collaborate, and to find solidarity when they find themselves in that context where they're just like what do I do? Like, I, I don't even know where to start here. Like, I'm, I'm really happy that I'm in XYZ country, but I don't know what to do. I don't know where to start. Right. I mean, like some countries you land in there and it's just a choir. It's, it's just singing. And Honduras for me was like that. But they had a wonderful teacher that came in my second year there. And Mike was just like, man, those kids just loved him. He was a little bit younger. He had fresh ideas, but he had connections. I know he had some kind of a personal network, but the guy before him was just like, okay, we're going to sing the same songs that I have out of my little mimeograph, you know, out of my whatever, his collection. And he takes it all with him. So I think it's just wonderful resource that we haven't had in the past. And the internet is so big. I mean, we're not going to go to teachers pay teachers and find some great music stuff and pay for something every time we want it. We need, as a music teacher, you're going to need support for either either music notation or support with instruments. You maybe land in a school and there's instruments, but they haven't been looked at in exactly. 15 years, yeah. right? Or maybe you have like 35 clarinets and you have one guitar and a bassoon and a trombone. <laughs> It just seems like you it seems like you're providing something you're starting something and continue you're like getting something started that teachers are going to be able to reach out to and get and get some answers and get some ideas from you as well as connections. Absolutely. And th- this is that was a really well painted scenario because that is often what we hear happens, you know, either someone arrives in a school and there's nothing because they, it's a brand new school because you know there's hundreds of international schools popping up all over the world every year. So they have to build it from scratch and all they've got is their experience from the UK or the US or wherever they've come from or from the host country if they're from the home country. So they just have to, you know, magic something. So where do they go? So that's what we're trying to trying to do, provide some connection, some a starting point to at least ask that question. And then the other one is, yeah, you might rock up at a country, like you said, and the previous music teacher has either run the program to the ground. So there's like half things there's maybe some leftover scrumpled up papers in the corner with some kind of curriculum plan or there's not seen it. Yeah. Or the opposite. They come into a school with the 30 clarinets because the previous teacher has just loves woodwind instruments and they had this amazing program, but you come in maybe like me as a strings player and I'm like, Oh, so I've got to do 30 clarinets now. So, okay. How, how do I do that? Because a lot of these international schools, they don't have the system, they don't have the history, they don't have the structure or, um, yeah, background of lots of music teachers that have been there forever or they don't have, 
the cultural kind of context of music where our school does music in this way. It's often the principal just goes, do something, make music, do the concert in December, and you just have to magic it. You just have to do something. Uh, so we're really trying to create an environment where people can comfortably come and ask those questions and all of the experts that have been in the international school field, because a lot of music teachers stay a long time as well. Uh, once you get in a great school and you build your program, you kind of often need to stay a while. You build the program. You want to build it. Like if you stay for a couple of years, you're not going to see much happen. But, you know, I stayed eight years in, in garden in Malaysia and it gave me time to actually see a, a thing build. And we find that in our- A legacy, yeah. Yeah, and, and in the community, we've got tons of people that have been 8, 10, 15, 20 years in schools that have so much knowledge. And when it's amazing to see in our Facebook group when someone just drops a question, it's just boom, 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 boom. So many great answers and ideas. Uh, and that's really what I've been hoping to create. So, to plug that just a little bit more, your project, I believe, is called Music Teachers in International Schools. What are the different moving parts to that project? Yeah, so we have the Facebook group, and that, that's kind of where it started. Um, and that's 900-plus members um, and very active, I guess. Uh, so that was kind of the beginning. And then for me, with my sort of interest, as I mentioned before, in international school music education, the next step for me was like, how can I serve this community in a way that's authentic? I'm also learning, but also um, just adds value. So that's why I went down the podcast route, because I have connections. I've built up connections over the years in a whole bunch of ways. And so I thought, well, it's going to be nice for me just to knock on some doors, tap on some shoulders and say, hey, do you want to just jump on for a call? Let's have a chat about your experience as a music teacher in international school and just put that out there so that, that that person that's rocked up in XYZ country with nothing can just go and watch a podcast or listen to a podcast and there's a nice starting point. And I love this stuff. Like I really like video editing. I love sound engineering and audio editing. So for me, it was a very natural step and it's been fantastic to, to do. I've really enjoyed it. I've had some great response and I, I basically just get people asking me to be on the podcast i don't think i've reached out to anyone in a long time so they i've got a list of people that um that i'm interviewing now like i've got an interview tomorrow i've got more next week and so that's that's been a really nice element that i think has added something to the community um so that's probably the second thing and then the things that we're working on, which I'm quite excited about, is creating some free resources with some of our experts where I'm going to maybe interview them, but we might even do it live and invite people to come on, kind of like a webinar where they can just jump in and I might interview that person live with music teachers in international schools community and they can do a bit of Q&A live and we can create some little resources around some topics to kind of add a supplement to the podcast or maybe it's going to even be better than the podcast i don't know but that's the next project uh, and then we have a space on linkedin that's growing and a, a few other things in the pipeline so but still working on on those and i think that do you write some articles occasionally do you have a regular installment that you do or do you just add things as they come up yeah i mean i've been writing articles um for a couple of different projects so i work as a consultant um as well so that's i guess i kind of have a an arm of what i do with music teachers that is a, is a paid consultancy offer where i work with individuals and i'm currently working with a few people especially in developing musical theater programs which is something that i've uh really learned through international schools i 
I never had a massive background in, in musical theater, but I've always produced concerts and events. And so uh, that's something that I really got into in Malaysia. And we had a, an incredible musical theater team and we did some great stuff. So I'm bringing that in now as a consultant and working with some teachers who are just starting their musical theater programs. So I write articles kind of around what I do as a consultant. Um, some of those are applicable to the, the group. So I sometimes share those. Others are with another um, project that I have, which is the beginner orchestra project. And that's specifically serving um, teachers that are working with early stage musicians and working with early stage orchestras. Uh, and I have a team with that. So I don't write all those articles. We, we sort of all collaborate and do those together. That you guys actually have you have compositions for start beginning orchestras with limited uh, different kinds of limits of instruments and stuff. Are you guys like composing? Not composing. Are you transposing for these like for earlier year um, musicians instead of going off to a big publisher? Because you, I know musicians do a lot of transposing. Mm. A lot of your own writing of music. Is that how you guys are doing it? Yeah, uh, it's all original compositions actually, and. How this started? Oh, wow. Yeah, how this started was that. Wow. Um, in the in the English in the British international school world, it's quite common to rock <laughs> to have an international school with all these different musicians, and you throw them all in a room, and you just see what happens. We don't have the the tradition that you might have in the U.S. schools, where you have band program and string program. It's more of a general music program with an extracurricular orchestra program, which generally works well if you just throw everyone in a room. But it's quite hard to find arrangements and compositions for all of the instruments because some of the key and, um, yeah, the, the limitations of keys with, without going into too much detail between woodwind, brass and strings uh, for beginners can be, can be tricky. So what we started doing in, at Garden, I had an orchestra of 50 or 60 kids of, you know, all the instruments, and we would start arranging a lot of pieces for ourselves because we couldn't find them through the major publishers, a lot of which are through, through the US. So we'd arrange pop songs, and we'd arrange all sorts of stuff to suit our orchestra, and then we started composing a few pieces um, because we like composing. Um, and so I've just taken that concept and amplified it. And because of copyright law and things, obviously we can't take arrangements and sell them. So we use it as a creative outlet. We compose pieces with some parameters in mind for the beginners and we sell them. And it's actually doing really amazingly well. I'm quite excited about it since August. Now that schools are back in the Northern Hemisphere without COVID, people actually have an orchestra now. We spent basically all the COVID period testing the pieces and testing the concept. And we've got some really nice response from a ton of schools in the UK and international schools. The fact that it's original compositions through that, and we'll put that website, we're going to put all of your information on our notes, of course, like we always say on podcasts, and we, we should do better like you do on your podcast. But we will put those links on there because I think as a as a music teacher, you're looking for music, right? You're looking for original composition for an early orchestra to get started. And if that's what and you have a team and you're it's a consortium, it sounds like. It sounds like a lot of teachers together working on this, right? Yeah. We have five we have five teachers currently working on that. And we've we've done one series, so we've got fifteen pieces at the moment. And we're just about to start. That's a consortium for sure. Yeah, and we're just about to start working on the second the second series. So that's kind of exciting. And, and just to be clear for anyone who's listening that's a music teacher, it is 
a full orchestra, so a full symphonic orchestra, strings, brass, woodwinds, percussion, and we do ukulele, guitar, bass, and drum kit in there as well with a keno part. It's kind of just like modeled so that you can get as many people as you want playing at the same time. You're working on a PhD. Where do you see, do you see yourself continuing this work, uh, continuing to expand your project? Would you like to be a teacher at a university, talking to new music teachers, bringing new teachers into the business? Where do you see, where would you like to be as you mm. move forward? This year, so the last year, so since leaving Malaysia, it, it's been a bit of an experiment to work that out, to be honest. <laughs> where am I going to go next? I would be lying if I didn't say that I, I've been on recruitment websites, looking at all the jobs that are available, thinking, oh, I just should go and teach in an international school. So th that was on the cards. But more and more, my trajectory seems to be heading towards what I'm doing in these other kind of entrepreneurial, I guess, activities um, around beginner orchestra, around the music teachers in international schools thing, around what the PhD might bring. So... For example, right now, I'm essentially, I'm overseas for a month. I'm speaking at a conference here in Holland, and then I go to India, and I'm doing two days of workshops in Delhi, one day with teachers, one day with students. And then I'm going to Bangkok, uh, working with Fibisia, this organization I mentioned before, the Federation of British International Schools in Asia. And I'm presenting four workshops at their conference. And then I go to KL and I'm doing a musical theatre workshop in KL. So I'm, I would really like to continue doing that if people are interested in having me do it. So I'll see where that goes. That's where I'm sort of aiming for. In Britain and Australia, and I don't know if we could speak to the United States, are young people getting into music at a higher rate than they used to? Is it gaining the popularity? Yeah, I think it would be safe to say it's a global phenomenon that music education is losing ground. Less and less people are choosing to study it, especially at tertiary level. Um, there's some very clear research out of the UK showing that a level, you know, the final year of school exam numbers are going down year on year. In Australia, there's a new piece of research coming out that's looking at this and everything's pointing to the fact that it's pretty much the same uh, trend. It's, it's all heading down. I can go into the reasons why people are suggesting that might be if you want, but that that's the short answer. Yeah, it's heading downwards. I can't believe that. Well, you know, I, I can't shocked. believe that music you know, is yeah, going right. down. I think Greg and I were shocked for a minute. <laughs> I because I know for Greg and I we're always talking about music. We both he's uh, a, an advanced musician compared to me. I'm a, a, a more or less of a beginning musician, but we love music. And is that something that's kind of more popular with older uh, people than maybe younger people? Do you think? Possibly, but I think it's about how music is being taught and how music is perceived in in culture and in community. There's a few things I could go into here, but I think at a base level, if I sort of look at it in a macro level, um, what most people that are studying this are suggesting is that the way that culture and society is heading, there's less and less value for the arts generally and for music because of its contribution to the economy. So music I mean, people can cite that the music industry, especially in the UK, there's always this number thrown out. I can't remember what it is, but something like $6 billion goes towards, you know, comes from the music industry into the national economy. Regardless of that, 
culturally and socially, people don't see music as a valid um, career path, right? And that's been around for a long time, but more and more so because of the way that economies, politics, culture all work together to suggest that music's not valid. It really doesn't contribute to the economy. And it, there's, there's no clear trajectory for a job. It's not like a student that does maybe one of the STEM subjects, let's say that, you know, you can say if you do mathematics, there's X, Y, Z, thousands of jobs that you could potentially do by getting a great score in mathematics. If you say to a student, like, you know, study music, they'll be like, well, why? What's it going to do for me? And so for a music teacher, this is another part of what we're trying to do with music teachers in international schools. We're trying to tackle this, you know, and we're trying to say, like, what is the value of music? Why do we have music at elective level, you know, at IB and at, at A level in these international schools? What is it serving? What is it doing to our children? Um, what, do, what do our parents, what do their parents believe about it? What does the school believe about it? Because it's a real conundrum because the numbers are going down. I would argue that the, the, the passion for music is still there. You know, kids still love music. Everyone listens to music still. Like there's no kind of dearth of uh, music generally in society. It's just the value of it in terms of a trajectory and what society values today in terms of what education should do, which is essentially support the economy. It's not there or it's very hard to justify for many people. In this country that we happen to be in, this Middle Eastern country we're in, it used to be a couple of years ago, right before COVID, it was still almost just before COVID, it was illegal to have outdoor music concerts. Mm. And we, I was in a jazz band with Brian, who I mentioned to you before, and a couple other people that are absolutely great. I mean, you're talking about over 20 people that just got together and did fantastic with a, a downright jazz band okay big band jazz we did frank sinatra we did 40s jazz we did some amazing amazing tunes mm. we sold out a theater of a thousand people and then we went out into the desert and we had the first year we went out in the desert and played in the middle of the desert and it was this bright idea of of this man that was living across the street from me and i wanted to share this with you because it has a couple great um stories about music in my life and this is the first international school i've worked at unfortunately where i've found an adult uh band to play with on you know on monday nights or whatever we would get together and play and then play concerts we went to bahrain and played concerts we went to other places around the middle east and played concerts in our country it was outlawed for a long time and then we find it finally opened up which is great mm. i had seven instruments in my apartment now i'm down to four Kent, how many do you have? Uh, I'm staring at about four right now. I've got a recorder, two recorders, uh, two flutes, and uh, some keyboards. And there is my last question for you, Chris, before I open it up to you guys to end up, because we've been on for a while. Here's my question, Chris. Recorders in fourth grade, really? <laughs> we st Every country I've been to, every international school I've been to, Kent, you teach fourth grade, Right. What's with the clarinet? What's with the the recorder has stood the test of time, and international schools like put them on the the buying sheet for music teachers. I think before they even arrive. What are your What are your thoughts on recorder here, Chris? I love this question. Okay, if you had asked me this fifteen years ago, I would have been like, I hate the recorder. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Never want to see it again. <laughs> oh, so I had I did recorder in fourth grade. 
uh, as a student, and I just remember hating it. But I remember learning when the Saints go marching in and hot cross buns and all the things that everyone learns. But I just remember hating it. Uh, and then, same today. <laughs> same songs we do oh, now. But, right. We still do. Every country that I've been to. Same thing. Go ahead. Well, so I'm not going to, I'm not like a staunch recorder advocate. Don't get me wrong. But the interesting thing about the recorder that I learned was that they just, they're just so, um, if they're done well, and that's probably the caveat, like there's certain things I think that some teachers don't do and just makes it an absolute nightmare for everyone else in the whole school. But if, if it's done well, the recorder can be such an incredible learning tool for that age. It's dexterity. They're using two hands. There's birth control stuff. There's pitch stuff because the recorder is not, you know, perfectly pitched. So your students have to listen as they play. There's, it's so accessible. It's small. You can pack it down. You can, it, it, you know, you can take it anywhere. It's cheap. Like there's so many good things about it. Uh, and it leads to so much else. So you can take the recorder and obviously the next obvious thing is flute and clarinet. Like once you're in that hand position and then you progress to any other instrument you can I think of. I knew you were going to say that. So there's- I knew you were going to say it. And that's what I love. <laughs> I think um, also, I just wanted to sort of jump on what you were saying, Greg, about your experience um, with music being outlawed, just quickly, just tapping into that idea, because that's something sure. quite unique to the international school context. And it's, there's many countries where that's a real issue for music teachers. So I just wanted to kind of acknowledge that uh, as a international school music teaching kind of person that is really interested in that field because we do have a lot of teachers struggling with that concept and that's another added thing you know they've been told to go and build a program in a country where religious culture you know religiously culturally it's out you know it's it's not accepted so there's another barrier which is quite tricky well the international teaching uh field is is got so many wonderful you know positive things about it Mm. and yet there's a lot of hurdles Mm. so i think that having you on our show and introducing you to our listeners and opening up the opportunity to start listening to your podcast which is growing you've got what nine episodes now but you're growing at lightning speed you have a ton of people waiting to be on your show Mm. you're uh easy to listen to and it's a well put together show i i must say we've been around for a year and a half now and we're still putting things together. We do it on the side. Mm. You know, it's just sort of fun. You know, we added Kent along here, and Matt loves it too when he can. Uh, we're, we love having the opportunity to talk to uh, international teachers from around the world, and you are our first, our, a very important piece as a music teacher. Um, Kent? We love music teachers. We love music, and we hope you'll come back and you'll update us on your project uh, in the future. And before we wrap up, do you want to say anything in closing, Chris? Yeah, well, thanks, guys. Thanks for what you're doing. Um, I think the more discussions we have in, you know, in this space of international teaching, the better. So um, thank you for what you're doing and keep doing it. I think it's it's a really important space that you guys are filling with this, this podcast too. I guess if anyone's a music teacher listening, um, you know, please reach out, like get in touch, jump on Facebook, uh, music teachers in international schools. Hopefully that's easy enough to remember and, you know, reach out to the community. There are definitely other networks out there, but, um, we'd love to get in touch with you. And yeah, if anyone's got any questions about, um, what it, what it means to be a a music educator in international school, if you're thinking about taking the jump, you know, you might be listening to this and you're not an international school teacher yet but you're uh, thinking about it and you want to know more about how music is represented in that, that world, 
I'm uh, more than happy to talk about it. Jump, you know, find me online, jump on my website, send me an email, whatever you want, and uh, happy to talk. Our guest today has been Chris Coma from Music Teachers in International Schools. This is Kent saying on behalf of Greg and myself, we'll see you next time when the baton drops. We don't have a script, just so you know. <laughs>